Well, I invite you to turn to our, our passage this morning. It's over on page three, printed out, if you have your bulletin. From Acts chapter six. We're continuing this morning this series that we're calling The Church and All Her Servants. Uh, as we, we get ready to uh, consider as a congregation whether we should add an elder, add a deacon, we're, we're backing up a little bit and asking the question, well, what exactly is the church about? Uh, who is called to serve in the church? Uh, and what does that look like? We were really helped by, by Paul's favorite image of the church as a body, so a, a unit, a united uh, oneness, and yet made up of very, very different parts, with each and every part essential uh, for the health and the growth and the building up of, of the body. Every believer, uh, though different from others, uh, and being incorporated into the body uh, to build it up. All are called to serve. These last two weeks, we're looking at specific uh, individual types of servants, talking last week about elders, this week about about deacons. And in order to talk about deacons, we're going to look at this passage from Acts chapter 6. The word deacon doesn't appear in in the English uh, here, though the the root word for deacon actually shows up three different times. Uh, It's it's there in in verse 2 or verse uh, 1 to talk about uh, distribution, 2, verse 2, it's translated as serve, and verse 4 as ministry. It's all that, that, that root word of serve, deacon, which is why most scholars look at this and these new group of leaders that are raised up and say, that's got to be the formation of deacons within the church. So that's why we're going to study this passage together. Let's first read God's word from Acts chapter 6, the very word of the Lord. Now, in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching, uh, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Procurus, Nicantor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set the and these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God. Let's let's pray. Lord, do use your word as you promise to build up, to bless, to teach, to encourage even your people here. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church government. How the church is supposed to be made up, the different officers and offices and organization of the church. Church government, it can be a little dry. It can be a little boring. 
Church government can be boring until it isn't. It's, it's interesting teaching different aspects of church government over the years. Uh, the individuals who are the most interested and the most intensely uh, focused and excited about issues of church government are always the individuals who have gone through struggles, difficulties, controversies in the church. They've gone through hardships and, and divisions and controversies in the church, and they start to realize church government is boring until it isn't. Until it becomes critical. Until, until it becomes a, a challenge and how God sets it up, is it being done faithfully, becomes the issue between a church thriving and growing through difficulty or a church struggling and falling apart. What we have here in Acts 6 uh, is a situation of, of struggle and, and potential disaster. The, the church is doing quite well. Uh, as verse 1 indicates, uh, the church just located here in Jerusalem now has been growing. Right, Christ has been raised. He poured out his Holy Spirit. Uh, the word has been preached and many have been coming to faith. The church numbering in thousands. Uh, it's growing and growing fast. But whenever there is, whenever there is growth, uh, in, the, in the church, there is always opposition. And the first couple chapters of Acts show you waves of opposition. Uh, we can rightly label it satanic opposition. Uh, whenever the word goes forth, the Bible tells us there's always the powers of darkness that push back. And you see some of Satan's favorite tactics in the opening chapters of Acts. The church is growing. He goes for his first tactic, persecution. Chapters 4 and 5, there's persecution against the leaders in Jerusalem as they're arrested and, and harmed and told not to preach Christ anymore. Persecution. It doesn't work. So then Satan tries another tactic. Hypocrisy. Uh, within the body. And we, we learn in chapter 5 of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Hypocrisy within the church. But the opening verse of, of, of chapter 6 tells us that the church is still growing. That tactic hasn't worked. So now we get another ploy of the evil one. If you can't stop the church through persecution, you can't do it through hypocrisy, then do it through division. Division. Uh, slow the work of the church by keeping the church divided. Which really is where the, the text enters, begins, with a division within the body. We could call it challenge number one, uh, the neglect and the, the division. We're told, verse one, uh, that... Yes, the disciples were increasing, but a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. We saw from our reading in Acts chapter 2 that from the earliest days of the church, uh, the body saw it as essential uh, to care for one another, needs within the body. That This was part of what it meant to be the church. Uh, to, to, to see that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That was the very core of what saved them. And so in, in living in light of that, they saw themselves as seeking not to be served, but to serve. And so if there were needs within the body, the church uh, sought, to, sought to meet those needs. Uh, and here you see that there's a, one particular need that's there in the church in Jerusalem, which is widows needing, uh, to, needing to stay alive, to be fed. There actually was a pretty high concentration of, of widows, of older saints in Jerusalem at that particular time. It was fairly common uh, for, for Jews who might be scattered about 
uh, to want to move back into the city uh, at the uh, at the very uh, end years of their lives. Uh, kind of like, you know, picture Florida. Like, in retirement, we're going to move back to Jerusalem. Only it was more religiously motivated. They wanted to wanted to live their final years and die in the holy city. So because the church here is, is uh, be, being grown out of those who are already there in the city, high concentration of older saints and widows. So they need to be cared for. And the church seems to automatically see itself as caring for these needs until there's a controversy. A neglect, apparently, that there's one group that's being being shortchanged, neglected. Uh, here Luke describes for us two different groups uh, within, within the church. They're the two different groups that would have existed within Jerusalem. All ethnic Jews, but ethnic Jews at that time had two different groups uh, among them. Uh, Luke calls them the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Uh, the Hellenists. That's those who were primarily Greek in culture and language, right? The, the Jewish population had been spread throughout the ancient world for some time. Uh, and when Alexander the Great really took Greek culture throughout the, the known world, uh, many uh, Jews who were scattered about adopted Greek language and Greek culture, uh, and they would make their way back to Jerusalem still with that, that background. Ethnic Jews who had primarily Greek uh, uh, cultural background and language, the Hellenists. On the other hand, you had the Hebrews, those who stuck more closely to their Hebrew heritage, uh, speaking and not Greek primarily, but Aramaic, uh, and sticking more closely with Hebrew culture. And you had these two groups in Jerusalem, and thus these two groups in the church. Uh, and you can imagine, as there always is, with uh, earthly differences, tensions can arise. Uh, and apparently, one group is being neglected. And, and there's the accusation that it's a matter of discrimination. Uh, this group intentionally being, being neglected. Grumbling comes up. Complaints come up within, within the body. You can see how Satan would just be delighted at this point. And no doubt he's behind it. Right? He, what better way to slow the growth, of the, the growth of the church than get the church divided and arguing with one another? Perfect opportunity. Uh, which actually then brings up a second challenge uh, as you keep reading. Verse 2, what we could call the need for delegation or the, uh, or the danger of distraction. Maybe that's an even better title, the danger of distraction. <clears throat> so verse 2, the 12, these are the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they gather the whole church together, intent on dealing with this concern, right? In the midst of the complaints, they see that there's, there's some truth that needs to be dealt with. This division is serious. Uh, and notice that not for a minute do they consider the option of neglecting the widows or, or letting the need just fall away. Uh, oh, well, we can't do everything. No, that's never even on the table. The need has to be taken care of. Uh, but... They're, they're wise enough, the apostles are, through the Holy Spirit, to realize that there is another danger in here. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps this, the real ploy uh, of the evil one, underneath it all, that in dealing with the controversy and the need uh, among the widows, uh, that the apostles, those who were called by Christ to be the preachers and teachers of the word, that they could be so absorbed in handling the controversy and healing the division and ministering to the need 
that they don't have sufficient time to preach the word. And so that's where this statement comes in. We, we, we can't give up this calling of the preaching of the word to, to serve tables, to distribute bread uh, to the widows. Now, they're not saying this duty is beneath us. We're preachers. We don't serve tables. That's not what they're saying at all. In fact, even, even see it in, in how they communicate it, how they talk about the, the individuals who are actually qualified to do this. And you realize they're talking about a very high standard. Uh, for, this is an important job because they say, not everybody can do this. These have to be men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. So they're not thinking of this as a lowly, you know, this is beneath us kind of task. Even their language reflects it. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, the word for serve or deacon uh, is, it shows up several different times. And, the, and it's used uh, to describe both what the, what the, uh, the seven, uh, those who are going to distribute the bread, the serving of tables, and what the apostles do. So the word there in, in verse 2 for serve uh, is the same word that they use in verse 4 for ministry. Uh, it's the word for serve, for deacon. So you get the, the parallel language. They're saying, here's what this new group of individuals is going to do. You're going to serve tables. We're going to serve the word. You're going to deacon bread. We're going to deacon the word. So it's the same type of task, only a, a specialization of, of what's being served. Not that something is beneath them, but a matter of calling, a matter of, of focus. Some are going to be called and equipped uh, to, to deacon tables, to serve tables. Others are going to be called and equipped to deacon serve the word. Uh, it's a matter of, of specialization, a matter of, of delegation. Uh, that, the, that the need is critical. It has to be, has to be cared for. The division needs to be healed. Uh, but, but we want the body to work as it's supposed to. The different parts to continue to do what they're called uh, to do. So the solution, raise up a new group of servants who while the apostles will, will serve the word, this other group is going to oversee the serving uh, of bread, going to care for, for the people. So the solution... The necessity of deacons. Let's look at, at how, how this is presented. Uh, first, notice the, the procedure. That, that the apostles lay out a very specific uh, procedure for how this is to be done. And again, uh, it, it, this is boring until it's not, right? Until it becomes critical. You can't do these things haphazardly. There's a division here. If they don't do this carefully, uh, even the, the attempt at a solution could make the division wider. And so they, they come up with a procedure that's designed to be orderly, careful, and wise. And, and we're going to try to copy that here at Emmanuel as we think about adding leaders to ourselves. So, okay, what's the procedure? Step one, verse two, uh, the twelve summon the full number of disciples. Gather everybody together. Congregational meeting. Step two, uh, verse three. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, etc. Uh, you, brothers, and that's brothers and sisters, it's the congregation. You pick out men for this, this job. Here are the qualifications. You choose them. Okay. Congregation of meeting, step one. Congregation chooses, step two. 
And then at the end of verse 3, whom we will appoint to this duty. Apostles appoint, set apart. We could use the language ordain. Same idea. You even get the, the, the achievement of this in verse 6 as it actually happens. Uh, these, those that the congregation chose, were set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So here's the, the setting apart, ordaining of, of deacons through the laying on of hands and prayer. So an orderly procedure, can't do this haphazardly, especially in the midst of, of division, and it's laid out for them, and now we try to copy that uh, in, in, our, in our time here today. So as we're talking about adding a potential deacon and a potential elder, we're we've, we've following this, this procedure, right? It's going to be uh, a calling of a congregational meeting, right? The, the congregation come together. The congregation's going to get to choose, right? It's, it's not the elders who just pick. Uh, actually, I don't even have a vote. Uh, the congregation votes. Uh, there's actually even a step before this that we're, we're past, which is it's from the congregation that anyone can, any member of the congregation can nominate someone to be considered as an elder or deacon. That happened in the case of John and Rob uh, some time ago. But the congregation, it's going to be the congregation that votes. Uh, should we have this person as a new elder, a new deacon? And, and then, if they are chosen, it will be the leaders of the church who will appoint them to this duty, uh, set them apart on a different Sunday in the midst of a service. Uh, we'll have them call, call them up and set them apart through the laying on of hands in prayer. And the idea to follow the biblical procedure, not just because we like to do things carefully, though hopefully that's true, but to realize uh, this, is, this is important, right? In, in the midst of the church, right? It, it might seem boring until it's not, until, until there's, there's, there's controversy at stake, uh, and to show the care of Christ, even in the ordering of details. So the procedure, but then also the qualifications. You see, it's not just any individual uh, that's, that's given this task. Uh, we're told, verse 3, here are the qualifications. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. A couple things to notice. First, it's, it's good to notice that they do specifically say, pick out from yourselves seven men. Um, I mentioned that the word brothers, uh, it has that Greek effect of brothers and sisters. But when you get to that word men, it actually does have a specific male element to it. Uh, it's just, it's what they say. Uh, that, that, that there to be men who are to lead this ministry. Not because women are inferior or not up to the task or anything like that. Actually, uh, Luke, of all the writers of the New Testament, seems to really go out of his way, both in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, to demonstrate just how essential uh, women were to the life of the, of the early church and the ministry of Jesus, that they were critical parts uh, that helped to advance the work. So he, there's not this communication of the women are inferior, it's that there's a different role which is something we know from the rest of Scripture, that God creates male and female, not to be interchangeable, but to have uh, specifically designed to do different things. And within the context of the church, uh, and leadership within the church, there, there are roles uh, for, for men to play, and that you see deacon is, is one of them. But not just any man. right? It's, 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 not, it's not one's gender that gets them the position. It's the fact that one is of good repute, full of the Spirit, and wisdom, right? High calling. 
They have to be of good repute. They, they have to have a good reputation. If they're going to be able to make sure that everyone gets cared for, all these widows, that no one is neglected, there's no division. These have to be individuals who are, uh, who, who are known as people of integrity. That They're trusted. Trusted with the task, trusted with goods and money. All right? We can trust him. They have to be those kind of people. People of good repute. Full of the Spirit. They have to be spiritually mature individuals who are, who are walking with the Lord and giving evidence of, uh, of increasing spiritual maturity. Because this, even though it's a, a material need, is a deeply spiritual task. Right? right? Whether it's because it's in the midst of a, of a division, but even the very act itself of caring for physical needs is a, is a really deeply spiritual task because it's, it's a reflection of the love of Christ. The same love of Christ that's getting proclaimed in words by the apostles, uh, getting deaconed, served by words by the apostles, is now that same love of Christ is now going to be served by the deacons. But this time in material, practical care. So it's that love of Christ, uh, that, that care for the body, uh, that's going to be reflected in what they do. It's a deeply spiritual uh, task. Uh, and, and of course, when you, whenever you deal with material needs, there's always an intersection with spiritual needs, uh, right? You can think of it in terms of these widows. Uh, yes, they just they, they need bread in order to survive to eat. But you can imagine there's there's also other things that go along with it. Those who are being neglected are probably maybe hurt or discouraged about the church. Uh, they're going to not just need food, but they're going to need to be encouraged in the midst of it. So we can't just send uh, any delivery boy to, to you know, give him some bread, but someone full of the Spirit who can know that there's, there is a material need, but there's a spiritual need too. This is an opportunity, tangibly, to minister, to encourage, to build up. And that's the case with any, uh, any material need. And thus full of the Spirit, and thus full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Not just get the job done, but do it in the right way. As we've said, there's, this is in the midst of division. Do it the wrong way, and church could be continue to be divided. So these men have to be men of wisdom to do it in a way uh, that reflects God's care and through the wisdom of, of the Spirit himself. So a procedure, very specific qualifications. And finally, I want us to notice how this really sets up what we've already been introducing within the, the church of Christ, this, this division of labor, this different parts of the body doing different things. And specifically here, you get this highlighting on on the interaction between those, those who preach and those who serve. Uh, different leaders in the body, but called to do and focus on slightly different things. Now, of course, we don't have apostles today, as we'll see in our study of the book of Acts uh, in the evening. In order to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus and of the resurrection. I don't think anyone here has, has been an eyewitness of the earthly ministry of Jesus. So no apostles here. So, but, but we do have those who are called uh, and, and tasked with focusing on the ministry of the word and prayer. We call them ministers or, or pastors or preachers. Uh, so not, not, not apostles, but, but pastor teachers. Uh, we have those individuals who are, who are called. That's a very specific task. Uh, and, and part of the, the way the church is to be set up is to make sure that everything gets done, and it gets done wisely. 
You, you've all probably been around churches long enough to know that there are a million and one really, really good, really important things that a church can be doing and even should be doing. Uh, there's no shortage of good, important things to be done in the life of the church. So, uh, so if any individual or any group of leaders or any pastor is going to do one thing, it means that he is not going to do another. And so how do we, how do we uh, have a, a church that's set up where in doing one thing, the other thing doesn't get done, but if it's important, it still gets done? The Bible's solution, at least in part, is is this division of labor, this specialization. That that in order to focus the, the minister, the pastor, on the preaching word and prayer, you have some of those other things that he can't do being picked up by others qualified and called. For example, deacons. Right? Not that one is one person is better than another, but one person is called to one thing and another to another. So that it's it's the body. Right? It's that very same Corinthians image. It's that you want the heart pumping the blood and the brain doing the thinking. Right? You don't want, you want one doing the other's job. That doesn't work very well. Right? So God gives us both, heart and brain and hands. And, right? it's, it's not a competition of one versus the other. Yeah, it's, it's being wise with the resources and the calling uh, of the church. And so part of why the office of deacon is established uh, is to help uh, help maintain that uh, that focus of, of the pastor, preacher, teacher on the ministry of the word and prayer so that the other important tangible work of caring for needs within the church still gets done, uh, but the ministry of the word is, is sustained and protected. That's part of what the office of deacon uh, is, is established for. Servants who can care for the needs of the church in a whole variety of different ways. Uh, the, the primary focus we see here in Acts 6 is really the primary focus of, uh, of deacons, that of caring for physical needs within the church, a, a mercy ministry of tangible needs. Yeah, sometimes deacons get involved with handling things of buildings and finances, but the primary focus in is on those, those mercy needs within, within the church. And so we're told, for example, in our own, our own uh, form of government, that deacons are called to show forth the compassion of Christ in a manifold ministry of mercy uh, toward the saints and toward strangers on behalf of the church. Uh, reflecting that Christ came, and he came uh, caring for body and soul. Right, his, his ministry was not just preaching, he also healed and fed this, this taste of a, a world to come where uh, all needs will be van vanquished, a transformed, fixed universe where the, all the brokenness of sin is gone. And now, as the people of Christ, we, we reflect that. We reflect that by preaching the good news of Jesus uh, in, in, in words, but also ministering the care of Christ by caring for tangible needs. Yes, sometimes within the community, but especially within, within the body uh, of Christ. Here in Acts 6, the need was for widows to have food. But it could be any number of, of needs that come up. Uh, it could be a, a congregation member that loses their job and the, and the bills are piling up. The deacons might be able to help. Uh, it could be a, a, an older saint in the congregation and there's a, there's a repair at their home that just needs to get done before winter sets in. Uh, perhaps the deacons uh, can organize some help. Maybe your, your basement floods and there's just this immediate uh, need for, for labor, for help. 
the deacons might be able to call on the resources of the church and the people in the church to, to come and, and help out. Maybe, maybe there's a saint that just had surgery and having difficulty getting food on the table. Uh, the deacons might be able to organize uh, some help. Those are the kinds of needs uh, that deacons are called uh, to, to give attention to, to give care to. Now, even, even in that own description, if you start to realize uh, the types of things, that if they are to do those things and do them well and consistently, they're not going to be able to do it by themselves. We're hoping to have two deacons, and that's we could use a lot more than that. But even even if we had seven, uh, like here in Acts six, even that those seven individuals can't possibly do all the work. But that was never really the intention. Even here in Acts six, uh, notice the task for the deacons is to oversee the ministry, uh, not to do all, not to bake all the bread and to distribute every loaf, uh, but to oversee. To mobilize the people of God, the other parts of the body, uh, to be doing what, what they're uh, capable of doing. What they have, perhaps, gifts or, or resources to do. Uh, and the deacons aren't to do everything, uh, but, to, but to mobilize the body to, to be the hands and feet of Christ. So part of, part of what we're calling uh, our deacons to do, and hoping to add another to the mix, is not so we got another body to do all the work. But, but someone who can, who can help oversee the ministry of needs in the church, can, can employ and equip and encourage all of us to be active in helping and caring for those needs. Uh, so you can, you can pray for them, you can bring needs to their attention, but also you can, you can ask the Lord when, when you hear of a need, Ask yourself, well, how can I help? If the deacons put out a, a communication or, or know, know the need and pass it along, we can think, well, maybe I can help with that. Uh, or maybe you have a special, special skill uh, or opportunity or resource, and you think, you know what? Others in the congregation might benefit from that. Well, letting the deacons know. Uh, I'm, I'm really good at, 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 uh, you know, at fixing computers. Well, I, I'm sure there's people in the congregation who really benefit from from some kind of computer difficulty. Well, let the deacons know you're good at that, and you like to do it. Uh, or you, you love, I remember not too long ago, someone saying, I love to do just grunt labor moving stuff. You know, okay, needs like it. Let the deacons know. That, that'll come up. Uh, we, can, we, can use, we can use individuals like that. And again, it'll look different for all of us. It's supposed to look different, right? Different parts of the body. Uh, but if the but part of the, what the deacons are called to do is to to not do everything, uh, but it, but use and resource the congregation to care for those needs within within the body. So uh, hopefully we've answered some of your questions about what deacons are about, uh, what they're to be doing, how to choose them biblically. Uh, but also I, I hope you've seen that this is this is bigger than just now well, we got to do it somewhere. That God is caring for his people, and he's showing us, here's the way in which the church thrives. Right? It's, it's not a coincidence at all that our passage ends with verse 7. Having, having cared for the need, we're told, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Right? The church grows Right at the very time when Satan was attacking. 
uh, was, was seeing an opportunity to, to divide and distract and, and disrupt, the church ends up growing. Uh, and you see how God did it. Uh, he did it by, through the Holy Spirit, equipping the body to do what it was called to do. Different parts doing different things. But ministering that love of Christ uh, in preaching the word and in deaconing the word and also deaconing bread, uh, caring for physical needs. And as the body expressed that love of Christ, sure enough, it's blessed. Sure enough, the body, the body grows. And that's what we want to see here at Emmanuel. We want to see God growing the church in, in maturity, but also in number. Part of the way he's going to do that is through deacons. And the ministry that, that they lead, as they, as they help us to, uh, to put into place, to mobilize the, the parts of the body to care in the name of Christ. And we can expect God's going to bless it, because that's what he does. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for, for your, your love in your son, uh, your care for your people, every single sheep. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help the body you've gathered here to reflect that love. Lord, you know uh, that there is ways that we can we can grow and get better and better reflect your love, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to do that by sending additional uh, leaders, additional deacons and elders, uh, and also using all the different parts of the body to carry your name. Lord, we, we ask for it. We look to you and, and expect you to bless and build your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.